Hello, welcome back to On Connection. Our last episode focused on leadership influence, and Mickey and Robin joined me to share why that's such a worthwhile focus for leaders and what they've learned about what it takes to develop the consciousness to use that influence purposefully. This is a massive part of our work, and while it's valuable for senior leaders and executives to dedicate some time and energy to considering their unique way of influencing, those principles are relevant to leaders and contributors of all levels. Today's episode is about influencing without authority and is geared toward that non-executive audience. In our work as consultants and coaches, we get to share what we've learned about connection, conversation, and generally what makes work less stressful and more rewarding with leaders across industries and around the world, and we're pretty passionate about it. Those audiences do tend toward more senior folks, but we know they're valuable no matter where you're sitting in an organization. A few years ago, we landed on a vision statement that says, we awaken the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, setting a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. If you listen to the podcast often and all the way to the end, that will sound familiar to you because the voices of members of our community share it at the close of every episode. We awaken the world. That's a pretty big goal. And for me, this podcast is a way for our principles and research to get to reach people that don't have the opportunity to be in one of our programs or one of our workshops. Emerging leaders and anyone with a desire to focus on their growth and development are the people I would love to get even more connected with. Regardless of their title or position, they're influencing their organizations now in ways they might not be aware of, but they are a force and one that's shaping the future of what their organizations and industries will look like. If our work could help people earlier in their careers in feeling purposeful, valuable, and in being confident agents of authentic connection in their work and life, that would be incredibly rewarding to me, and I know many others in our practice. So this episode is for you, and if you are a senior leader, I invite you to listen with an ear for how you might be able to support that development in those you lead. Katie Mingo and Patrick Kennedy joined me for this conversation, and the three of us share the experience of being less tenured, let's say, in our careers. We all come from unique backgrounds and have work experience prior to our time as consultants at Conversant that contribute to our perspectives. I've been lucky to get to grow alongside them because they both have wisdom and insight that I wouldn't have access to otherwise. They see the world and the challenges in leadership and organizational life in unique ways that shape the value of our work and make us all smarter. We have in common that we've all faced the challenge of being seen as credible and capable of adding value, especially when we walk into rooms of leaders that have decades more work experience than we do. We do know what it feels like to choose to be courageous and step into those conversations, betting that we do have a valuable contribution to make. Through our own career experiences and observing the careers of others, we know that influence is not limited to tenure or title or hierarchy. Every member of an organization has the capacity to influence. Influence those around them, the quality of work, the collective understanding of challenges, and so on. It may not mean that you can directly impact a change you want to see in the organization writ large in the same way a senior executive might, but missing the opportunity to use the influence you do have is not only a loss for you as an individual, but for your team and larger community. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with some fellow emerging leaders and that it helps you become more conscious of the difference you can make. Welcome back to On Connection. Today, I am joined by the lovely Katie and the dearest, lovely Patrick. You're also dearest, Katie. I apologize. You're equally dear, equally lovely. Um, But Patrick and Katie have both been on the podcast before. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Thank you. Good to be back. (laughs) Uh, So today, we are going to talk about 
influencing without authority. And I thought that this would be a good group to gather for such a conversation. One, because we are some of the youngest consultants in the organization at the moment. And by youth, I do not mean less impactful or less effective or less credible. However, we might battle different challenges in demonstrating that kind of credibility and effectiveness and all that. And I think we can relate to clients where we engage with maybe emerging leaders or people that don't have formal titles uh, granting them authority or influence in sort of a classical um, structured sense. But we know that people have opportunities to influence no matter what seat they're sitting in in the organization. And so we want to talk about that. However, I think that from our little prep conversation that we just had, we should back up a little bit. So we're saying influencing without authority, but what do we mean by influence? So what comes up for both of you in terms of defining influence and maybe even why it's worth talking about influence? They're pointing at each other. They're they're doing the thing. We do this thing sometimes. Like, who's going to take notes? Who's going to share what they got out of that conversation? And we all nose goes. This time it was actual. A, it was a calling out. It wasn't even a nose goes. It was, no, you go first. <laughs> there was a literal pointing happening. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll share. Patrick, I, I'm just going to nominate you to go first because I think you had a really great definition that'd be worth uh, sharing with, with listeners. Well, yeah. I love that you went first to nominate me to go first. <laughs> uh, that's influence right there. Good job. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so w- when we were talking about influence earlier, where I typically go with some of these words, it's just looking up, what does it mean by definition? And so by definition, influence is the capacity to have an effect. When, when we start When we start thinking about what does that mean, it feels very broad. I think the answer is exactly that. It is broad. We have influence over things all the time, uh, everywhere we go. And often we get maybe a little myopic in thinking influence only happens with the title that I have, the power that I wield, the expertise that I might have, the information I have privilege to, whatever that might, um, whatever circumstance that might be. And so then we can feel frustrated that, oh, if I only have this power or this title or this expertise, then I would gain influence. Mm -hmm. But influence isn't about titles or expertise or power. It's a capacity to have an effect. And that's with us all the time. So when we think about how we might influence it's a bit of a misnomer to say that it's without authority or with authority or wherever, because it either um, we either influence or we get frustrated. So thinking about influence from a more foundational level, I think frees up our my, our minds around what exactly can we do with that influence or how can we wield it? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. Um... And and how can we wield or harness that influence versus letting letting how we occur be accidental? That's really the challenge of leaders and leaderships. Um, thinking about just uh, that if only if only if I love the way you said that, Patrick. About like I'll have influence when I'll have influence when I have a promotion. I'll have influence when I have the next degree. When I have ten more years of experience versus what can I bring to the table. What mood can I create in this room or help create in this room? Uh, what thoughts do I have? Questions do I have to ask? All of that is part of our influence. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, as the influencing without authority has us be more creative in a way. We're not using hierarchy or our title as a as a crutch. We're finding other ways to see how do I affect the world around me and be really purposeful about it. That's so good. I love the contrast from... Uh, influence versus being frustrated. So influencing versus being frustrated. Yes. Okay. I was trying to get the grammar right there, but um, it makes me think that 
uh, about leaders who have, I think, fairly common stories about that the people below them are just complaining all the time. Like, uh, all they do is tell me all these things that they're complaining about, or I hear their complaints from other people, but I don't hear any solutions or I'm not seeing anybody proposing us. We do anything differently. And I wonder if that comes from people believing they don't have influence in changing whatever the thing is that they're feeling frustrated by so that they don't think they can affect this thing that is disappointing or a roadblock or challenging I think sometimes complaining feels like the only option, or at least that's how it's heard, but it's really a voice of frustration. And so there's a responsibility on one, I think leadership's side to recognize that complaining might be a symptom of something else that you do want to be connected to or be aware of. And then on the other side, there is a responsibility of employees that are downstream of that leadership to recognize where they might have more power influence than they think they do. And especially because you occupy a very unique vantage point in the system. So there's things that you are noticing that others might not be noticing. And so it's actually a responsibility to communicate those things. But I think that the way in which you communicate it might cause a different values of outcome. Uh, so the range of value you can produce, <laughs> But first, it's being conscious of that you are influencing all the time, to your point, Patrick. And with that, the, the complaining, for instance, is influencing people. Yeah. <laughs> might feel that, man, I'm frustrated. I'm not having it. Uh, I'm not influencing the way that I want to. And that itself is influencing people because you are having an effect on others. And we all know being around folks that every sentence out of their mouth is a complaint about something that nothing ever is going right. We can all probably tap on what that feeling is. Like I want to escape this person or I want to shake this person to get them out of the room <laughs> or I, I want to just change the subject altogether. So that is the influence that that individual then has. I don't know if that's what the influence that they want to have or they're aware of. So Emma Rose, you mentioning the, the conscious um, awareness of their uh, level of influence. But if we're influencing people all the time, then we are responsible to care for and manage how we are showing up. Because the effect that we might have on people could actually be very detrimental to how we might work together, uh, how we live, our family and friends. It's um, its fundamental to who we are. And ultimately, we're a social species. So mm -hmm. we're not going to wind up in a situation where we're completely devoid of relationships. That's how we operate. So influence is part of who we are as people. So it's not something to avoid. It's not something that's granted when I get a promotion at this specific company. It is much more broad than that. Mm -hmm. I think it, another pitfall, like talking about, is it complaining? Is it feeling that frustration? Another pitfall of, of not recognizing your own influence. I remember being in a, a fairly high stakes meeting a few years ago and I went into that meeting thinking my role in this is primarily to, primarily to shadow and learn. And I had a lot of admiration in that room for, for all the people that were also in that meeting. And I went, they're brilliant. They're going to come up with great ideas. And I found myself thinking, why hasn't anyone said X yet? And it took me about 20 minutes before I realized, oh, I'm in this room too. I can say X, uh -huh. come up with that idea versus why hasn't anyone said it yet? Is there something wrong with this? Is there something else going on? And just waiting for it to happen versus putting it into the conversation. Mm, that's uh, so, so good. Yeah, I'm sure that's so common. And I think that's true of anybody, even if you do have some level of authority, depending on the power dynamic in that conversation in that room, right? So this is where like title doesn't really mean much, depending on what's the microcosm in which you're trying to engage at this moment. So it could be a project. It could be 
you're having a cross-functional conversation about something or what have you, unless you're the CEO, yeah, you're not going to have the most authority (laughs) in the organization. So highly likely there's variation in where you do have it, depending on who's in the room. But I think that I've seen that with other um, members of organizations too, where they just defer assuming well somebody else is going to say that it's not my job to say that somebody else is going to say it and well then why don't you say it i don't understand why (laughs) but i think that's a weird trick that we play on ourselves and it's sort of unfortunate because i think it can come from uh wanting to avoid having impact so if you're afraid of the impact that you're going to have or the influence you might have on the room or having your name attached to that influence like i'm thinking katie about the client we were just with recently and they were talking about how in decision making processes sometimes nobody actually wants to be the decider so there isn't a a point in time where somebody goes okay, I'm going to declare this is what we're moving forward with because they don't actually want to be the one attached to that decision and then the fallout or whatever the consequences are of that decision. Um, So I think that's one reason why we can sort of talk ourselves into avoiding influence. But then I think the other is that we just don't think we have that much we don't think people find us that credible to listen to us in that way that we would influence the course of conversation or events or the project or what have you. And that's unfortunate. I would bet that it, you know, it would be a good opportunity to kind of like challenge yourself in those moments where you're noticing, I'm just not going to say anything. Uh, Why? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why not? Why not me? Yeah. It's an interesting point to think about the, the fear of, being that influencer. Mm. There, I mean, there's certain times I can recall back at, in um, the first first story that comes to mind was I had the opportunity to go to college a year early. Um, so kind of placed out of all my classes in high school. I was going to go to um, uh, University of Texas um, to take some math courses. And there was a issue that I didn't have this vocal ensemble course that I needed to take for a semester in high school. And that was like a, a little, a little speed bump probably could have gotten around it, but I was so fearful of leaving the comfort of being with all my friends in high school and going to a 50,000 person university downtown that I was, I kind of skirted the issue and said, no, well, it's because of this class that I can't do it. So how I was showing up and in making that decision was I I was using that, um, that vocal ensemble class as a, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? An excuse to avoid the, the impact of what I could have gone into. And so instead of acknowledging, hey, this is scary, but what am I for? I just shirked away from it altogether. And so there's moments where people, I would imagine, are pretty afraid of the influence that they can wield. And this comment of, well, I I can only be influential if I have this title or whatever. It's like, well, sure. If you really want a title like that, start a company. It's not that difficult. It costs like yeah. a <laughs> and rocket lawyer and you can be the CEO. But guess yeah. what? Now you're going to have to influence from authority to get clients and to get investors and it, it doesn't end. So the, the idea that, oh, I just need this title or I've talked with folks that are like, well, people will take me seriously once I turn 30 or 40 or whatever. It's none of that matters to the level of influence that that you have so either confront yourself about are you ready to have the level of influence that you're asking for or instead do you feel like you you don't have it yet and you can start working on the confidence or ability to see the influence that you already have but either of those paths requires uh, a bit of a confront 
to say what what direction are we headed in? Are we masking this and uh, masking our fear with all these excuses, or do we quite that we don't quite know all the tools that we have yet? So working with others to uncover your unique skill set and how you influence can then set you on that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is such a prevalent and like unspoken issue that we talk about, you know, what do we do if people are jockeying for power or people are trying to, uh, you know, take more space or authority uh, and there's, you know, not enough, too many cooks in the kitchen kind of a problem versus the what happens when too many people abdicate their responsibilities, too many people leave uh, leave their influence on the table um, and un- underutilized. Mm-hmm. I know was thinking about like what what I've done in the past to try to help that I'm sure that you guys all have have uh, strategies for this too but I try to think about like what what am I contributing in this call what am I contributing in this project that is just uniquely for me and that people would want to hear from me about if I was someone else in this group what are they hoping I do what are they hoping that I add look for or I think that gives me a a, just a stronger foundation to stand from Mm -hmm. as one that's really good. Yeah. Like, why am I here? <laughs> why did these people invite <laughs> really me to this conversation? Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I hear there's a couple of common things that I hear even in coaching conversations. Um, I, I mean, I, at least for me, I think it would probably be true for you guys at this point as well. Like I'm not coaching many executive leaders occasionally, but by and large, it's kind of like the rung below that or managers or what have you. So they are in that middle zone in terms of hierarchy. Um, But people saying like, well, I don't get invited to those meetings. So I can't have influence in the company because they don't invite me to those meetings. Okay. Well, how, what could you influence in order to get invited to the meetings? But also why do why does being invited to the meeting matter to you? You know, like there's something about that sitting at that table you think grants you a different level of contribution or being taken seriously, like you said. But the other one is people feeling like they're, well, this is their problem and that team is does these things and this, you know, this thing over there. And I think especially when you do have a manager or you have levels of leadership above you, it's easy to say, well, that's not my job. That's above my pay grade. That's somebody else's role. They're supposed to take care of that. I have told them that I think this is a problem and nobody's really doing anything about it. Nothing's changing. Well, I think there's two things that come up from our perspective um, for me. Like one, okay, well, the, the whole thing that Jim says about, well, then good, you've figured out all the ways that don't work so far. <laughs> um, but the other being, okay, well, what can you do? Because otherwise it's what we would consider an impotent explanation of what's going on, right? It doesn't give you anything to do if you say, well, that's just their problem or this is out of my control or that's their job or I'm not, I don't have a seat at that table. That doesn't give you anything to do from where you are sitting and what you do have available. So if you were to look at all the tools in your toolkit and the opportunities you do have to do something, what is there to do? And even when it's in the context of dysfunction, maybe in an organization at large, it's like, well, then how can your team, the team that you are responsible for influencing, how could they do something differently that could potentially have an impact on that stuff? Rather than relying on that always you're going to get senior leadership at some point to recognize the dysfunction and then figure out exactly what the solution is and then get the budget and the resources and make the decisions that that's going to happen. That's like that whole thing about if you follow the, if you wait for things to trickle that way, it'll take as long as it takes for a a river to make a canyon. (laughs) That's something that Mickey says. Um, but yeah, like what what can you influence from where you sit? Even if it's not the perfect solution, even if it's not a surefire way to resolve everything that you're feeling discontent around, what is there for you to do? And I think that's a good mental exercise, especially when you're facing frustration. It's like a good trigger for, okay, I'm frustrated. I'm blaming other people. I feel like it's out of my control, but mm, 
could I question that for a second? Just entertain that I might have something to do within my sphere of influence. I love that investigative spirit of it too. I mean, it really is like, like what, what else can I do? It's, it's a, an opening question. I think like who else is affected, right? Like who else cares about this? Who else cares? Another good one to start building that community around it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a quote that keeps coming up in my head, be the change you want to see. So in that example, in Moreau's of that person's complaining that they're not in that high level executive meeting. So when they are, do they want their direct reports to be complaining that they're not in that meeting and therefore have no influence in the organization? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So if, if you could take the wider view to think, okay, if I was an executive, how would I want my team and all my direct reports to be influencing in the organization? And then adopt that perspective in what you're doing in a day-to-day role, right? That the influence that you can have is one in which you are modeling for others what change you would like to see in the organization. I think about when I'm lazy parenting, that (laughs) I'm on the couch and Clara says, uh, Jack hit me and Jack says, no, Clara hit me. And I say, guys, just figure it out. (laughs) Guaranteed within the next day, Jack will get upset with Clara and Clara will say, Jack, just figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. I think, well, okay. Am I really being intentional with how I want them to see what it's like to resolve differences or to apologize or whatever that is? Or am I just like, I want to watch TV, so get out of my way, buzz off, which then Clara does to Jack. Oh, this is how we resolve differences. Get away, buzz off. You figure it out. Mm-hmm. We, I think we often get caught up in our own stuff that we think that the words that we use, people will take and then run with, but instead they look at what we're doing and the words may or may not stick, but how we're doing it, that's what then translates. So if we can start focusing then on how we're doing things, then that can demonstrate for others or influence others in, in, um, in positive or negative ways, depending on what we choose to do, right? But I think ultimately that influence that we're talking about with or without authority, it comes down to how we are behaving in those mm-hmm. moments where we're either hurried or we feel spacious or we're aggravated or we feel creative. But it's a choice that how we show up uh, ends up having the greatest influence on others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Because I think that even in like, let's say culture or patterns of behavior in organization or what have you, if, again, if you're waiting for leadership to demonstrate the behaviors that you hope to see in a culture that you would ideally like to be a part of, like, good luck. <laughs> um, but I do think organizations need a point of gravity that people can start being attracted to. So why not be that person or have your team be that team or have you and your coworker be that, those ones that are demonstrating what collaboration and partnership and, you know, valuable um, co-working relationship looks like. And that attracts other people. Um, So I think not, Uh, discounting the power of just demonstrating what you would love to see. I think that's so huge. And I do think if there's like a specific thing you want to influence, so say it is, you know, advocating for more resources for your team or um, trying to get more buy-in from somebody who is more senior in something that you really care about or your team really needs attention on, whatever that is. Um, it goes back to Katie, what you said about who else cares. It's also, what do they care about that's connected to what I'm caring about? And can I speak into that? And I will be the first to admit, I can, I think it was Brie who was 
bringing this to my attention, who's one of our project managers, she's a superwoman, but um, that even I can get in the trap, this is where we really need each other, of realizing, like not realizing that I'm not speaking into something that that person actually cares about. I'm really talking about what I care about, but I wasn't caring about whether or not that was something that they care about. And I think if you're getting dismissed or rejected or ignored in your requests for something like that, it's likely because you haven't connected yet with what they think is most important. So that investigation, especially if you're trying to influence up, is very worthwhile as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, we say it all the time, and I, I'm still surprised by how often that this occurs like a new thought, but the the idea of when you get resistance, do research, <laughs> right? Like, okay, I hit something I wasn't expecting to hit. What happened there? What am I not what am I not getting? What am I not seeing that they're seeing and vice versa? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When leaders, I would assume, obviously I haven't been in this position, but I think this is true, that leaders love to see people engaging with them in that way. Cause I think, you know, leaders are human beings too. They're just, they're just caring for a different aspect of the organization than you might be if you're not considered at that tier. And they are occupied by all these different things. And if anything, the higher up you get, the more complaints you get elevated to you or the more discontent you're aware of, the more dysfunction, the more what have you. Um, And you're disconnected from those lower levels of experience, I think, in the organization as well. So that there are people caring to communicate and care for the things that they can't care for, but connecting it to things that they are caring for. I mean, that's doing so much of their work for them. Like, let's just say that's a good way to want to try and get a promotion, I think, if you wanted it. I think that's a pretty good (laughs) behavior to engage in. Because it Secrets does make out. Yeah, right. <laughs> Write the HBR article. Here we go. This is the formula. No, but I think, you know, putting your concerns in the context of something that matters to the organization or to that tier of leadership or to that leader is much more likely to then cause some movement on that thing that you care about. Um, or at least give you some more valuable insight or feedback uh, about that thing that you didn't have before. So. Yeah. I think about the it. orientation. Yeah. <laughs> you go. They're pointing again. <laughs> pointing at each other again. I was thinking the orientation to that matters. I was just with a, a group of leaders the week before last who were talking about how do I, how do I get my team to care about the things I care about, care about as much as I do, right? Mm. Like how do I build that accountability and so I think, you know, if if you are raising an issue, the way you raise it versus, um, you know, these two sound very different. If I come to someone and say, hey, this thing is broken versus, hey, this is broken. How do we fix it? How do we do something about it? That has us, um, you know, has us occur as much more involved uh, part of the process versus just bringing up something to add to someone's to-do list somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's an element there that, and it can be kind of lonely to be uh, in an executive or leadership role. So mm-hmm. if you've got folks that are engaging with you in a way that's contributive, like Katie, like you're saying that uh, here's an issue and this is what I'd like to do to resolve it, or here's a proposal, or what do you think about this? It can be... Um, and not a, what do you think about this in a brown nosing way, but like in a, I'm here to support the the larger efforts. It can feel very relieving then uh, from an executive point of view. And the, another story that comes to mind is when I was uh, working at a brokerage and I was hiring somebody to uh, be in an administrative position and I was running operations. And I asked uh, her, what kind of position would you want to go for? Like, we're not looking for somebody that's looking for a temp job or going to be there for a year or two years. Like, what, what exactly do you want to expand into? And she said, I want your job. And I heard that and I thought, 
oh, this is awesome because I can't move to where I want to go unless I've got somebody that cares for my position the same way I do. So I heard that and I was like, God, this is an immense relief because now I can engage with this person in such a way that sure there's kind of a how things work around here, get a lay of the land before we start just proposing these wild changes. And then how exactly have I been putting uh, my processes in place to advance this particular strategy? And now like what are what do you see that I'm missing and how can we put this together to where inevitably I just, because of her rise, I was able to um, take a much larger perspective on um, the these three offices across Texas. So for me, that was like somebody coming up and saying, this is what I want to do. It's like, th that's the best news I could have heard there but it comes from a place where I'm not holding on to a title so that I can command people to do things that I could realize that the influence that I wanted actually was enabled by somebody declaring the influence that they wanted. Mm -hmm. So it's a win-win rather than this zero-sum game of what positions are we vying for and competing uh, for one another. So it, there's a, I think there's a real aspect of if, if we can adopt the mindset of the leader and recognize that like Ben Rose and Katie are both mentioning, how can we engage with them in such a way that they feel supported, contributed, not as lonely, that we're all in the same boat, rowing in the same direction, can create opportunities for everyone in a way that wouldn't exist otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's like such an interesting, it's, I mean, at the heart of all this is how we engage with power, right? And definitely, it's so interesting that we want to um, withhold our true intentions, especially at work. It's like, this is a job, you know? Like, we're all working. <laughs> we all do this for a paycheck. If you're lucky, you do it for more than that. But a lot of people are doing it for a paycheck. And the economy's tough. So you probably are vying for positions like that or whatever. But if you're being dishon dishonesty, I think is what breeds more of the um, contention around around it. Like people acting like that's not the case. Um, so then even the vying for authority is also kind of sometimes caught up in vying for more financial um, compensation. <laughs> um so there's a lot that I think is emotional, I guess, around those kinds of things, like role shifts, elevation, seniority. Um, and it, it's existential, really, because it's tied to how people care for themselves. And it is the thing that does connect them to their personal life. And so um, I think that when it does get to be a question of of your power or authority from uh, that kind of uh, vantage point, it can get complex for that person. So it's, I get why people don't engage fully around those conversations and disclose, but I mean, isn't that great? I think it's just your, your story is really about like questioning what, the accuracy of how you expect people to react to things also. Right. Um, which I think is central to this whole conversation about influence anyway, because, if I'm assuming I don't have an influence and it keeps me from doing something, it's the assumption that kept me from doing it, not the truth that that wouldn't have impacted anything. And, you know, same thing about like, if I'm assuming that if I do this thing, it's going to influence this thing negatively, maybe just check the assumption. It might not be that bad. Or is there a different way to consider engaging with it? Like we've been talking about. So I would imagine Patrick, that the way that that person came to you, it didn't sound like I want your job. Like, I hope that you die or get kicked out so that I can have your job. That wasn't the quality of the conversation, right? <laughs> right. It yeah. was very much in the spirit of uh, me being curious what she wanted for her career advancement. And right. then not being threatened by 
the very direct answer that she had. And um, it, it likely was pretty uncomfortable from her perspective as well, because we didn't know each other very well. This was during interviews. So to have the, the courage to be able to speak into that was commendable in its own right. Mm. Um, it, it's, a, it's a fine line to balance because it is about the relationship rather than what are the right words to say in this moment or how might I, I say this. But while I don't remember, I can bet that she was quite curious about what I was interested in that allowed her the opportunity to speak her point of view without it being like a grenade lobbing over a, a concrete barrier or something, right? That she she likely got curious enough about the organization, my role, where I wanted to go, that I felt comfortable enough when she confronted me with that answer. Mm -hmm. um, I don't quite remember that part as much because that's, her confronting me was the flashbulb memory part, like, oh, no one's ever said this to me before. Um, but I imagine if I'd said, oh, hi, nice to meet you. And she says, yeah, nice to meet you. I want your job. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have landed the same way. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I'm still struck by, Emma-Rose, what you said about influence being tied up in emotions, being tied up in your economic security and all of these other things. And to me, that begs the question, you know, what is sufficient influence for this moment in time? Like, if we're talking about being intentional about your influence, about your leadership, what what will help me achieve my goals in this moment? Um, and I think that's something we could ask to to separate that from, oh, well, I'm noticing someone's not listening to me or someone doesn't, is it paying attention to what I have to say is, okay, what's important for this moment, for this project, for, I don't know, the next six months or year? Mm. I think that, that helps in this idea of it as a progression too. I love that too, because it separates it from ego as well. It's like, mm. I am influencing for a purpose. Like, what is the thing that I need influence for in this moment rather than well, I need to be influential to everybody because in case there's ever something that I want from them, I want to be able to get that from them and I want them to respect me and all that, you know, like I think that it's purposeful. The influence is for a cause, not just that you're influential and you get to feel good about that. Yeah. It's an, it, it is a really good distinction then that being influential or being seen as somebody with influence is different than the type of influence that we're talking about. Because I would think that in the one sense, talking about being influential, we're really talking about having power mm -hmm. in its most kind of direct way. That mm -hmm. if we think about people that are influential, they are um, folks that are having um, a, a, a broad impact that can make decisions over what we do or don't do or whatever else, rather than what, what we're drawing a line in and saying is, if we're talking about influence from a perspective of that's just how we are, when we look at one another, we are influencing one another. When we experience one another, we're influencing one another. Then Katie, like you mentioned, what, given we're up to something, What's a sufficient amount of influence that's required to make that thing happen? Then it's very direct, it's concrete, and it allows a path forward rather than trying to achieve some status of being this influential person that is kind of devoid of the characteristics that matter. Like, what are we trying to do in the first place? As I could talk about, yeah, I want to be the next you know, Taylor Swift, she's really influential. <laughs> well, but like that. Pretty big, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, good luck for me. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny that that's what pops in my head because I don't know if I would be able to name one of her songs and you can edit that part out. <laughs> well, but you know, she makes an impact. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Mm -hmm. But anyway, to your point. 
<laughs> well, I think that, um, you know, that's one of the things that's coming up for me is like, if you think about it that way, you're likely to impact more of the things that matter to both you and others more efficiently rather than just being influential because, and I'm kind of thinking about like a diversity standpoint here, like the loudest person in the room probably has the most ready access to influencing things from like a, an obvious, you know, in an obvious way. Um, and there are characters like that. And also charismatic leaders have a different level, a different kind of influence available to them. And like, it's sort of that classic way of thinking about what you would need to be in order to be influential. And that is just so far from reality because I think those people are probably <laughs> by and large having a negative impact sometimes, <laughs> not not always like really positive influence. Um, just to say that there's, it's not a given that just because you demonstrate those characteristics that you then have influence and authority. Like, I think that's a pretty old model. Um, but the people who, I'm sort of thinking of pillars of credibility here which maybe you guys can jog my memory if I get not all of them right. I know I've, we've talked about pillars of credibility on the um, show before, but the first being credentials, like, okay, that's the obvious thing, but it, credibility goes so far past credentials. Um, essential understanding is the one that always stands out to me because it's, can I demonstrate that I am listening and observing and curious enough about others around me that I can articulate and speak into what is most essential to those people and to the system and to this situation? Because if you're able to connect with what's most essential to others, influence is much more readily available to you. Um, and I think anybody can do that. That's not about charisma. That's not about being the loudest person. Actually, it's the opposite of being the loudest person, just by the way. Um, yeah. But it's demonstrating that you care about meeting other people um, where they're caring for things too and like leaving space for that. There's other people, not just me and my agenda that I'm trying to push. And so what can we influence together rather than what can I push forward with my big personality <laughs> i don't remember so what i think that's a good are. thing for the show notes for the for yeah the i know so i mean i could pull it up right now that you okay patrick talked about the lazy parenting thing i'm doing the lazy podcast host thing because i have a computer i'm sitting in front of a computer <laughs> got the computer right here yeah but anyway yeah i mean i think i think that that's another just i think people that have um personalities that they don't believe are a match for you know those kinds of positions they just kind of believe they won't ever get there it's just so not true yeah i absolutely from an inclusive leader standpoint yeah i think this is really important um you know how do how do introverts build a space where that uh, that makes sense how do you know any any various identity types build a space where they can be in places of leadership and influence. Um, so to some, some, I think this goes back to Patrick's earlier point about like, how do you create and role model that, that you want to see and keep growing? Mm -hmm. um, just as a, as a personal example, Emma Rose, something I've noticed you do in the last few weeks, it's been a really crazy, crazy month, month and a half. And I've noticed that you pull out these like, Oh, that's a brilliant idea. Or you're so smart. Like you bring out this really just, quick. It doesn't take very long, but I've noticed those appreciative moments and they've st stood out to me and I've started doing that for, oh. for others. So it, it can, doesn't have to be a huge, influence. long thing. Oh, oh, you made me cry, Katie. Um, but that's it's something I noticed you did. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Well, thank um, you, Katie, for pointing it out because now I'm noticing like, well, right. She did do that. That was really generous. <laughs> And so I'm like late to the party here and going, oh, that. And so what that helped me do is open up, talk more, share more of my point of view, feel more collaborative in this environment. Mm. So Katie, you're helping me out with the noticing. And Katie, I think you're helping Morose notice her own appreciative, um, <laughs> kind of a 
a noticing train. Crazy feedback loop. It works, you guys. It works. Oh, well, thanks. Y'all are so sweet. Well, I did find the remaining pillars. So there's not just two pillars. That would be fairly unstable. There are two other ones. Um, so it's credentials, association. So with relationships, uh, relationships with people in organizations or whatever. So relationships with others, essential understanding, and then committed action. And I think that's also a huge part of this. Like, are you, when you take action, are you committed? Do you demonstrate commitment? And that's an observable thing. So that goes back to the same thing, Patrick, you're saying behaving in a certain way is going to grant you more and more credibility and influence over time that you are actually demonstrating that you are embodying those things gets you so much further than just being somebody that talks about it. I actually think the people who talk about it and then don't do it or do something counter to what they talk about do the most damage. And it, oh, totally. it's something that if... If we ever notice the things that we're most annoyed with mm-hmm. in others' behaviors, it likely represents something that we've done that we haven't noticed in ourselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so there's, so I, I've had to catch myself, as, especially in the past, with being late to like a meeting. It used to really get under my skin. Until somebody said, but you're always late. And at first, my reaction is, no, 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 no. I'm I'm not late. Like, seriously, I'm not late. But those times that I was late, like there was traffic. I was in this other meeting. I was doing <laughs> these important things. So it doesn't count. Uh, that makes me think past, of the whole, go ahead. Once <laughs> I got past all of the excuses then and realized, you know what? If I'm being late, I'm showing others it's okay to be late, and it's it's not my position then to be annoyed by others being late. That's what I'm doing. So if I want to change this, how about I show up on time and then see what happens? And voila, after a period of time, me showing up and then not being upset that others might have things that get in the way, now we start meetings on time. And this is over a course of maybe 12 months is noticing this shift. But it stemmed from having this choice of like, shoot, I think I'm contributing to the thing that I'm annoyed by. So how about I change to where I can demonstrate what behaviors I'd like to see and then see what happens. And then Mm -hmm. things worked out. I think that's such an important lesson for people anywhere in the hierarchy or in their careers or wherever. But I think that people hoping to elevate that haven't been willing to do that or notice that for themselves yet are probably the ones that are going to hit a roadblock somewhere that they're surprised by or frustrated by in terms of like um promotion or new opportunities or growth you know I think that just speaking to some of the concerns about the younger generations in the workforce right now I think there's sort of this common complaint I hear from more senior leaders that they just think they're going to get promoted every year as if we have all those positions available every year for one and as if we have this endless well of money just hanging out waiting for them to ask for it right and you know i totally get both sides i think we're lucky that we get to hear conversations and point of view points of view on both ends of that spectrum but um that it's it i think the people that aren't willing to work on their self awareness and becoming more aware of how they influence and where they have different opportunities to influence. That is where you just have an untapped opportunity to be even more valuable to the organization and to your team and to your coworkers. So, and this is, and some, you know, we, I have to work on this too. This is, it's a painful truth. Like when you said that, Patrick, I was like, (laughs) I am late all the time. Same. That one got a little deep. I know. Yikes. Uh, but it's always because I have other calls running over. So, but it, no, it made me think what I was going to say is it reminds me of the whole, like when 
other people disappoint you, you blame character. But when you disappoint others, you blame circumstance. <laughs> yep. So true. But Katie, what were you going to say? No, it's this, it's this really good, like, it seems like a car- uh, contradiction. You know, we've been pulling these words apart and making distinctions about what does influence mean. And there's another one, like, if you're not willing to be influenced or change or be adaptable yourself, I think that hugely impairs your ability to influence uh, a system or, or change things around you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, um, that's, uh, oh, go ahead. That's so good, Katie, because <laughs> in connected to what we're modeling, then if we are unwilling to be moved or affected by others, others are learning, oh, don't let others affect me. So the modeling that we're doing is saying, silo yourself off. Don't let others contribute or help or support or have any sort of effect. And so the very nature of letting others influence you allows you to influence others. So anytime somebody feels frustrated that "Ah, I'm just not having this effect with this person or that person, a key piece of research that can be done then is when was the last time you were affected by that person Mm. oh yeah in the Mm. way that you would want when was the last time you let their influence that when was the last time you let them influence you Mm. that's so good it's like this karmic mindset like okay what i'm putting out i'm gonna get back like if i just operated like that every single day how I show up is how other I can expect other people to show up to me. How I, you know, communicate is how I can expect other people to communicate with me. Uh, where I cut myself off from other people, I can expect them to do the same thing to me. What I complain about, <laughs> I'm inviting more complaint. You know, I think that's, it would be an interesting experiment to for people to play with. Um, because you know, I just, I do think that what goes around comes around when it comes to your behavior and your mood and what, what you're showing that you're willing to contribute, engage with, be committed to all that I think does speak volumes and we take it for granted sometimes. Well, Okay, so as we move towards a close here, um, what, if you had to say just one thing, just one essential thing that's sticking with you as we're leaving this conversation, what would that be? Oh, there have been so many good ones, but I think the, for me, the one that keeps standing out is this idea that Although I might think about influence as being a really logical, really, uh, you know, something you can put down on paper, that there's uh, so much that goes into it that's emotional or that's outside of the role description. Um, so, Emma Rose, thank you for for bringing that in. Because now I'm gonna now I'm gonna start questioning what's going really going on in those sort of situations. Mm. Good, good. Well, this is not recency bias. I I am. Um still struck by this so katie your comment about uh, a path to influence is letting yourself be influenced mm-hmm. that i'm sticking with that thinking about how i'm interacting with folks and i'm going to take it as a personal challenge to start noticing like how, how am i letting myself be influenced by others ideas or contributions, even if I've got my knee-jerk reactions to like, whatever, I'm not listening to that, or it would, like, however that might show up, to just notice, like, how that works or how that operates. Mm-hmm. That was good. So good. Both of y'all, just so many good things. Um, well, for me, I think it's the... Uh, how I behave, like starting with my own behavior, being, you know, being the change or whatever, like that you, how you show up is a form of influence. Um, even if it's, um, something that you feel like you wish others were doing, like, well, are you doing it? (laughs) I love that. I think that's a good haunting reminder. So 
appreciate. I swear I was not thinking of you when I mentioned the. You know what? It's okay, Patrick. You can say that, but we all know. (laughs) No, I will say that I think the chronically late train is it has infected a lot of us, and it is part of that is the back to back meetings and everything. But um, it doesn't mean that we can't be better. So. That's what I'm, I feel called out and I'm going to work on it. <laughs> That's what I'm leaving with. <laughs> we'll all help each other on this one. Oh my gosh. There you go. All right. Well, we'll let you guys know what our influence ends up causing if we all start showing up on time. So, <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was a joy to be with you guys and we'll have you back soon. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Katie. Thank you all. Thank you. This episode was produced by Guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham, and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Conversant's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com. On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until next time.